Welcome, everybody, to the Novel Knockers. To start off, we'd like to apologize for any of the African names we pronounce incorrectly. We'll also be talking about Things Fall Apart by Chinua Achebe. Written in 1958, the story follows Akonkwo, a prominent figure in the Umoifia clan in late 1800s Africa. In compensation for the death of one of their own, Umoifia gains a teenage boy, Ikemofima, who lives with Okonkwo and his family. Over time, Ikemofima becomes a son of Okonkwo and a brother to his children. However, due to something the oracle said, Okonkwo kills Ikemofima. Then he accidentally shoots a man's son and gets exiled for seven years and flees to his motherland. After two years of being there, however, white settlers come to convert the tribe to Christianity. Reverend James, a violent missionary, attacks the Africans during a festival. Okonkwo wants to retaliate, but his people don't, so he hangs himself in despair. Today's episode is titled Things Fall Apart. We read this book by the same title for our summer reading, I am a junior. My name is Celia Gibbs. I am a senior, and I'm Lily Bear. I'm a senior, and I'm Helena Wheelis. And this is for our English for reading class. So now we'll start with our author shout-out. Chiwana Achebe was born in 1930 and died in 2013. He was a Nigerian novelist, poet, professor, and critic. His first novel, Things Fall Apart, considered his masterpiece, is the most widely read book in modern African literature. His other works include No Longer at Ease, 1960, Arrow of God, 1964, and Ant Hills of the Savannah, 1987. His book Ant Hills of the Savannah was shortlisted for the Booker McConnell Prize. He has also received the Man Booker International Prize in 2007 and the Dorothy and Lillian Gish Prize in 2010. Additionally, he received honorary degrees from more than 30 universities around the world. The first topic that we would like to discuss is trace the development of two or more significant themes within the text. Our first theme that we found is the relationship between father and son. So let's discuss. Right. His father, Akonkwo's father, was very weak in his mind. And so Akonkwo decided that he was not going to be that way for his children. Mm -hmm. And so he was very tough on them and beat them and made sure that they there was no possibility that they were ever going to be lazy or weak. And that also transferred over into his um, kind of adoptive son, how are we saying? Ikemafuna. Ikemafuna. Do you think that because... His dad, you know, liked languages, and I think he played some kind of instrument mm-hmm. that that made his masculinity seem more weak than because he wasn't a fighter. Yeah, yeah. And, and now, like Okonkwo is like the most prized wrestler in their region. Yeah. I think that he tried so hard to be an- the antithesis of his father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he just wanted to be nothing at all like him, which is why he is the way he is. Yeah, and this shows how in different cultures, masculinity, masculinity varies so much because mm-hmm. in to him and his people, he's like the best version of a man out there. But then when we read about him, we see him as a coward, even though yes. that's what he's trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. Good discussion. The second theme that we would like to talk about is the varying interpretations of masculinity, which we've already kind of touched on, mm-hmm. um, about how he and his culture was seen as a very man's man masculine 
dude, but in our culture, in the mindset that we have, we view him as a coward. So is there anything else that you guys would like to add to that? I think you nailed it. (laughs) Thank you. The second topic we'll be discussing is analyze two or more pieces of figurative language you consider integral to work, to the work. Provide textual examples of these terms in action. The first quote we found was, and at last the locusts did descend. They settled on every tree and on every blade of glass. They settled on the roofs and covered the bare ground. (laughs) Mighty tree branches broke away under them, and the whole country became the brown earth color of the vast, hungry swarm. I thought locusts were green, but that's not very, that's not very, um, well... No. Sorry for the bells, but <laughs> yeah. I guess the color of the locust isn't very important. No, and this is an important quote because it signifies change, which Conquo obviously had some trouble with. Yeah. And then it also signifies the white settlers coming to Africa towards the end of the novel. It was like and the figurative, it showed the change of the book without, yeah, foreshadowing, without explicitly having to say, you know, this is going to happen. Yeah. Isn't it weird that like locusts are like a very symbolic um, like symbol the in the Bible, uh-huh. and yet like the white settlers who are coming are Christians? So that's that very like. such a good thing to yeah. point out. I just thought about that. No. Yeah, and that's, even in the Bible, they were like destructive, yeah, which is also like what the white symbol, settlers, yeah. they're like destructive. Mm-hmm. And then it also ties in with that religious aspect. That's yeah, what a in, good I'm pretty thing. sure. Um, that story was about purpose. in Egypt, um, was. God was going to punish everyone, mm-hmm. and the uh, locusts were going to come down, and yeah. there was going to be, like, fire and everything. So locusts are big and mm-hmm. ugly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It makes you wonder, like, when you, like, realize all of these, like, symbolic meanings that the author actually meant it, or, or if, if they just, just so happen yeah. to yeah. like, is that a coincidence? If you're just, like, digging into it. Into and it. then English teachers are like, what does this mean? It's like, just flower. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then our the second quote that we picked out, or not a quote, but a con quote is associated with burning and fire and flame throughout the entire novel, which alludes to his intense and dangerous anger, which is the only emotion that he allows himself to display. Yet the problem with fire, as a con quote acknowledges himself in chapters 17 and 24, is that it destroys everything it consumes. That's another important like figurative thing mm-hmm. because... Fire is so destructive, and in so many works, it does mean, like, anger and stuff, which, like you said, shows how anger, his anger just destroyed every part of his life. Like, his adoptive son, he killed him. Like, he was angry with his tribe. He ended up having to go back to his motherland after he was exiled. It's just, like, every single time, he let his anger get the best of him. He kind of let everything just fall apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly, like the title. Things fall, fall apart. apart. <laughs> Woo! Okay. That's crazy. One of the things you discover when you actually talk about a book. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Moving on to topic number four. Examine the sequence and structure of the text. What intentional choices do you see the author making? What other organizational patterns could have enhanced, replaced, or altered the sequence of the work? In the beginning of the novel, the author jumps from speaking about Onkonkwo to speaking about his father to show the divide between them, 
and the shame that Okonkwo feels. I think that it also um, had to do again with that, him trying to distance himself from his father, but ultimately mm-hmm. they're more similar than he would have liked and that he could have seen. Mm-hmm. And it shows us why Okonkwo is the way he is mm-hmm. and yeah. where he got this like passion. Yeah, It kind of makes you feel bad for him that like he feels this that need way. to like cover up any like vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like he can't be vulnerable because his dad was vulnerable and bad things happen to him. Even mm-hmm. now, you can see the parallels with like society, mm-hmm. like so many that, people trying not to be their parents. Yes, and um, being afraid to show like their softer, more vulnerable sides, mm-hmm. especially boys. I think that mm-hmm. so much attention is put yeah. on. That's a stereotype. I mean, not so much, but like so little attention is yeah. put on a gender stereotype. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Put on the boys and their feelings and like Yeah, and like women are the ones who are supposed to cry yeah. and like yeah. take care of the kids, is only a feminine gender trait. aspect, which yeah. is not, not true. It's not true. true. No. Yeah. But I, yeah. But I think that that was an important mm-hmm. parallel to be drawn so that we can relate it to ourselves today from this book that was written mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. Topic number five will be about the con- will be about the many many contrasts found in this book. For starters, colonialism and traditional culture. The way the African tribes live is just so different than the culture that the white settlers were trying to bring over, and so that kind of is a shock to the Africans because they have no idea what's happening. But then the white men are acting so superior, which when just they're the ones invading when, their and country, the ones invading and like yeah, and they just like they call them like savages and stuff. But they just don't understand that even though a culture is different than yours and everything is so fundamentally different and not your own, then it's not savage or anything yeah. like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's just wrong. different. It's just, yeah, and then it's funny to me how. You've got all these African tribes who, like, when it comes to things like murder and rape, they're not, like, stingy about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. they do it, and it's deemed more okay in their culture. Than it would be yet for... They also don't invade other countries and, like, Mm -hmm. take over. So then you also have to think about, like, who's the savage? Yeah. And, And, like, depending on what you're talking about. The next contrast is animism and Christianity. For those of you who don't know, animism is its kind of what the Africans believed. Who It's their gods. It's kind of a broad term just since there were so many different gods. And Yes, Polly. Um, what's that word? Let me look it up real quick. Not, not Polytheistic. Polytheistic. Right. Yes, polytheism. The definition of polytheism is a belief or worship in more than one god. So, yes. Yeah, so the Africans, at least most of the tribes, were polytheistic and Christianity is belief in one god. Yes. Um, so that's also a shock. And also, I feel like Christian, there's just like, again, the fundamental beliefs are so different. Mm-hmm. And what's okay and, and relig- morally yes. sound and what isn't. And like religion is so. It means so much to who someone mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. or like the lack thereof religion. And so that might just be another thing that they just couldn't agree mm-hmm. on because they're so different. Because at that point, because it's one thing to like just 
build things a different way and like do various things Speak different ways. Different but like for most people, religion is like their essence yeah, and their what identity. dictates what yeah, they're going of, to do and why they're going like to the do it. It's kind of like their base for their virtues and like their values. Yeah. yeah. So attacking the someone world. else's religion yeah. is attacking them. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And then the next contrast is the masculine and the feminine. It's kind of a biggie in this book. There's a lot of um, stereotypes. Yeah, and and domestic violence. Yeah. I feel like the theme of masculinity and femininity and, like, masculinity being such a set in stone kind of, I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, like, gray area, like, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's where they the two cultures are the most similar because I feel like masculinity as a whole is seen as being emotionally unavailable, detached from everything. In control. Yeah, Mm -hmm. controlling. And I feel like that's probably where they were most similar because Mm -hmm. of their ideas of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Especially in America, that whole sense of, like, superiority. Yeah. The white male is, like, you know, above all else. Yeah. Yeah. So... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so now we're going to kind of blend topic six and seven together because um, they have sim- similar views. But um, topic six um, was how we felt reading about how he treated his wives. And um, question seven is more about how society has evolved and how it's different and how it's still the same in the book. For example, gender stereotypes, abusive husbands, and um, more tolerance are still things that come up in even today's society. We still have problems with um, domestic violence and abuse towards women. Um, Even though this, when was this book written again? It was like 1950s or something. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I feel like... I mean, obviously, the three of us being women did not like <laughs> no, yeah, no, reading. We did not like reading about the scenes where he's beating his wife, and then the people in the community are like, "She probably deserved it," yeah. but still, yeah. just because she like right. didn't cook him food, and and I also, but then you also have to think about the fact that like when it comes to morality about Everything. anything. We think what we think is correct. They think think, what they think are correct. mm -hmm. So, like, like, we don't agree, but that's what they think is right. Yeah. You know? And, like, even as you were talking about before, the cultural differences, like, in that culture, things like that is okay. Okay. Yeah, and it's still the same because people still do that in the United States. Yeah. It's not like we're doing different things. And still even kind of going with the gender stereotypes in the book, the only role of the woman was to stay home, mm-hmm. bear children, cook meals. It didn't matter if he had another three wives or yeah. not. That was like your only job. And everything yeah. except for the three wives sounds a lot like even the like nineteen fifties ideals. People yes. still do. Yeah. Like, yeah. It um, hasn't really changed. Yeah. yeah. And then also I feel like we do have more tolerance yeah. towards people who are different now. Like, when it comes to feminism and LGBTQ and just, like, men being allowed to, to cry. Yeah, to show their emotions. Yeah. Now we kind of, like, now when we see men crying, we're like, good for you. You are a real man because you're not insecure. And then you're like, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, like, good for you because you're crying, but, like, the fact that they're not afraid to cry. 
Whereas mm-hmm. back then, like, they just yeah. Yeah. were told not to. Um, today, all the juniors had a field trip to our local community college to learn more about different careers. And one of my first ones I went to is about um, nonprofits and stuff like that. And the lady who did it um, works with abused women and pregnant teens and stuff. And I think that even just that we have more resources available in our country and in this time to deal with things like that mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. with like social media and stuff, so much of this, of everyone being different from everyone else, that's so much more accepted. Mm-hmm. I just think that mm-hmm. like the context of the book with everything being okay, that was the right choice for him to make. It was make. a product of the time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. So exactly. We, yeah. That's what I was yeah. trying yeah. to yeah. say. Yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't shock me or anything that that's what they were no, doing in this time period because it makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not right, but it's just crazy that, like, people still do that. Like, yeah. Not yeah. as much has changed, even though in the book, you know, they think they're completely different cultures, which they are, but a lot of the same things are yeah. actually the same. Mm-hmm. And then, like, what you said about, like, helping pregnant teens, how would they have treated pregnant teens, most of the teens got pregnant back then because they got married so young, but, like, an unmarried girl, what would have happened happened to her? Like, how would they have treated her? And then is it much different than how a lot of people treat girls like that now? Because, like, you don't know what happened that Mm -hmm. caused them to be pregnant, you know? it could have been anything. It could have been numerous things, some of them not their fault, so, like, Mm -hmm. you just... And even so, like, what happened happened, so... You can't, yeah... You can't really. You have take to deal it with back. it now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like you have to deal with your actions. Yeah, unfortunately, that's not really a thing we've evolved with. Yeah. Much, but. Yeah. Okay. Good discussion. So thank you for listening to our podcast episode today. I want to say thank you to Lily and Helena for joining us today, and. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know this was the Celia show. And <laughs> we're the guest stars. How am I supposed to say thank you to myself? I got it. Oh my goodness. Wait, did you are you recording? Yes, I'm recording. Oh, we'll stop and delete it. No, I think that this is gold. Okay. So the novel also, knockers is a trio of smart, independent women. And English for and honors. English for honors who critique and evaluate books, some of which we enjoy, some of which we don't. We don't. Some of which we agree with, some of which we don't. And so- uh, yes, thank you to our listeners today for listening to this crazy podcast, and for Mr. Gitz for letting us do this assignment. And um, join us next week as we review "The Grass Is Singing" by Doris Lessing. We'll see you then. Bye.